From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 70. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello, good morning. And hello, Perry. Hello, good evening. <laughs> and it's it's afternoon in the UK. Just to, Spanning just, the globe. Yes. Yeah, 10,000 10, miles between us, and I'm not entirely sure how many time zones, but quite a few. Um, okay, now first, uh, I just want to say thank you uh, to, again uh, to those people that have donated um, via our coffee account for uh, um, the D, what is it now? The Down Syndrome Association of Central Florida, which is uh, uh, the Havens family's um, nominated charity. Um, and I'm delighted to say that we've actually just sent a donation of, just get the figures up now, uh, $363 um, has, has gone across there. Um, and we've also, within that figure, we've that's, that's meant that everybody that's donated, absolutely everything has gone across, including um, we've topped up the PayPal fees and we've also... Uh, made it so that the the charity actually get the donation in full so thank you very very much and uh, the um, the keen-eyed people may have realized that uh, I said last week I said we'd actually taken 330 pounds um, that was actually an error I'd actually double counted something there so the actual in pounds it was 292 pounds so uh, converted uh, going across that went through as uh, 363 so thank you very very much um, for for those donations yeah, well done, everyone. Thank you so much for for contributing, and and we're we're really really pleased with that. Uh, what everybody did pulling together. Yeah, actually, there's there's uh, one thing I didn't do last week, uh, which I did the weeks before, um, and I was just to give a thank you to those people that uh, did donate. And I'll just quickly run through where those effectively two weeks worth of. Uh, donators there um, so there was uh, Stig Starr, Robbie J, Barry Carr, Anonymous, uh, thank you Anonymous I know who you are and thank you very much, um, Nigel Cliff, ooh, Jean-Marc Duong I think sorry if I've butchered you, uh, Fraser Yule and uh, Matthew Joseph so um, thank, thank you all. Johnny. Yes Simon. Simon, hello, Simon. Hey, so um, uh, Simon, you you've had some things going on this week. I think things that you can talk about now, right? Yeah, um, it's it's something I was I wasn't going to talk about uh, because things were a little bit up in the air. But uh, I did I did something very interesting last week. Um, I um, what would, what would my job title be for one day last week? <laughs> I had quite a few job titles, uh, but uh, let, uh, I think I was I was an assistant um, last week, and I was an assistant at a specialist uh, camera auction um, in the uh, getting um, stock and lots uh, prepared uh, for a forthcoming um, auction, and I just had a brilliant time. <laughs> I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, it's, it's doing something that largely similar to what I do most of the time, anyway, which is you know working, you know, splitting stock down, working out how to how to sell it best, and 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 so on. Um, but this was working in in the warehouse of a of a specialist camera auction, and you know, there was a there's a single collection there that is enormous, 
and it's just got so many things in it and it's like trying to work out or well, what what lots go together and uh and and so on and so on and there were there were, there were lots of things including uh, a camera that was spoken about a few weeks ago which i've never never seen before that i hadn't even heard of before and i can't remember who it was i don't know if it was james toccio actually talking about it but is it was it the uh, was it james who talked about a pontiac camera oh yeah yes it was yeah well mm. there was there was a pontiac camera what a beautiful wow. beautiful thing that was but, uh, very cool wow yeah but but not only was I and mean, that's a french camera um but there was a whole box full of similar types of french cameras um wow and just a number of uh cameras that i was coming across that i've no idea what half of them were yeah yeah you, know, uh, you know i think that you know i come across a lot of cameras and i see a lot of cameras in, my, in, in what i do but the, these these things just kept on coming out thinking i'm turned to that don't know what that is. <laughs> so, and so, on. so are, are, are they, do they, I, you know, I've always wondered about this. Um, are they sold or offered as kind of like as is collection type of thing, or are they actually tested out or how, what's the, I guess the procedure or. Um, well, I've not, I've not done the, the, the full procedure yet. So I'm, I'm, okay. still, I'm still a bit green behind the ears. Gotcha, I, don't, gotcha. I, don't, I don't know the, the, the full procedure, but certainly, at some point, uh, there's. I mean, you get condition reports with, with with auctions, but a condition report's usually something uh, on request. Um, yeah. So when a when a catalogue is put together, um, there's there's a, there's a, a reasonably good description uh, is 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 given, um, and um, and I've seen noted that you know, say if a lens has fungus in it, it's usually mentioned that it has fungus in it or haze and yeah. things like that. Um, cameras. I think cameras are, are tested to some degree, but they're not tested to the nth degree. Because obviously, you, yeah. you're not going to run a, a roll of film through, you know, two thousand cameras that might be turning up in in, in a single auction. Um, right. So I th I think I'm I'm guessing uh, that it's going to be a case of uh, they'll be probably clicked at uh, a fast speed, a slow speed, and um, and viewing the shutter. Uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. probably the, the 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 limit. I don't think they go into. I've never seen it mentioned about. You know, whether right. the seals are in uh, good conditions and stuff like that. So I don't think it goes quite to that degree. Okay. That's kind of what I would have assumed, you know, because how do you, you know, especially auctions like that where you're coming across unusual things. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, who's got a frame of reference for all that, so. Well, exactly. I mean, and the other, the other part was my, you know, part of my uh, job last week uh, was to assemble uh, the large, the large formats uh, wooden brass cameras ready, ready oh for it to be photographed, and I'm there thinking, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, there's, there's so many, there's so many different ways how, how cameras go together, and yeah. you know, it's it's yeah, it, it's it's a it's like a I don't know if you have Meccano over there, but uh, yeah, it's 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 certainly a, a puzzle. Uh, and you and you've just got to be logical and sort of well. There's a hinge there, so I need to unclip it from this other end. Right. But I, right. But, if I, but I, there's nothing there to unclip. So what else is what else is holding it together? And well, it's good they had the large format expert on hand. Exactly. <laughs> <what I'm laughs> <gonna say. laughs> yes. Yes. Simon Forster, the large format photography <laughs> podcast was uh, was on point that day. Exactly. Um, 
And uh, well, the, actually, the, the good news was that you know my my interest in large format started six months or so ago with um, with a half plate camera of that kind of era. So I, d- I did actually have some relevant experience. So I actually yeah. gave the impression that I knew what I was doing. <laughs> Fake it till you make it, Siren. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So do you get first dibs on? sweet stuff in the collection oh i wish i wish <laughs> i mean there was a... i don't know both of you are in in on that side of the business right i don't know how you yeah. do that without just making it a money losing job because like if i did something like that i would just buy everything it you know it reminds me of when i used to work in porn um and <laughs> it, you spend enough time on set with uh you know that much nudity and everything it's just a job perry it's just a job <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> no, but if it's, I mean, seriously, I we get stuff at uh, Central Camera all the time, and I'm like, oh my god, I need that, I need that, I need that. And it's like, if you, if I'd got everything I needed or thought I needed, I would just not get a paycheck at all. I mean, currently, just a chunk of my paycheck goes to buy film and stuff every time I get one, but I would just never get paid. So I. I actually make a point of anything I see that I really, really want. I try to like sell it as fast as possible. <laughs> so it's not a temptation. <laughs> that's, that's the only strategy I've come up with that, that seems to work. That's a, it's, that's a, it's a good strategy. I, I, I need to apply some kind of strategy because I, so I definitely have a problem with uh, what, you, what you're describing there. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what tends to happen is things are thinking, yeah, I'm going to sell that, but I'm just going to store it in the cupboard for a bit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. E- eventually, after a period of time, if I've not used it for a while, or I think that I'm not going to use it, then then it may actually get sold. But some some things, I've definitely I'm holding on to some things that really I I shouldn't do. There's no no two yeah. ways about it. Right. Um, but as far as specifically in in the case of the auction, uh, well, it's you don't have first dibs because it's it's a case of it's a public everything goes to a public auction, so it's. Uh, everything is going to that that comes into it is going to go out that way. That's that's how it works. I mean, you're you're, you're trusted to do it that way. Um, right. So uh, there were there were things there. I mean, there was a Steinheil um, Quinon or Quinar. I think no Quinon. Uh, so it's a fifty millimeter one point nine, and it's a really chunky lens. And it was on a uh, on a, a an, an Adixa standard M um, forty two camera. And I've been after one of those for just so long, and this is the first time I've ever seen one. And there's a wow. and, it's, and it's lovely and it's beautiful. And yeah, the, the temptation is that well, when this gets uh, when this gets divided into lots, you know, but if, just mix it mix it in with a lot that nobody really cares about. Um, but but no, it's going to be it's going to be a lot by itself because it's something that's special. That um, and my job and the auction's job is to get best value for the client. You right. know, so these these things that you you want to you want to find for yourself. Well, yeah, I, I have to have my fun and by finding it first time round and then put it and then putting it front and center so that everyone can see it. So is that Steinheil Quinon the? Is it a sonar copy? Because I know the fifty f two is a sonar copy that I've been looking for for a while. Uh, I don't know. I've always I've always assumed it was a planar, um, but uh, I, I really don't know. Johnny, do you have you any idea on that? I I do not know. No, I don't think I've ever seen that particular lens in person. Um, 
So I am not. I'm not. I can't speak to that one. I just realised it won't be a. It won't be a planar anyway. Or, or I suppose it could be technically. But I'm just thinking. People say planars are symmet- symmetrical, aren't they? But can, so yeah. you, I suppose you can have a symmetrical five element lens. But actually, mo- most of them are like six, six and above, aren't they? Planars, I think. Oh, I'm showing a lot of ignorance now. I'm, I'm sure I'm. <laughs> planar? What's a planar? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the, the f2 is definitely a sonar copy. Um, but I don't know anything about the f1.9. But if it's if it's five elements, it doesn't sound like it would be a sonar either. No, doesn't sound like it. Uh, well, no, it would do. It could do, couldn't it? I mean, sonars are five elements. Well, generally speaking. What's a yeah, sonar? I guess the, I, I guess the old uh, traditional. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Well, you should look into that. That that's it's yeah, a super. We gotta look up some. We gotta look up some diagrams. <laughs> yeah, we had, uh, we, Simon, we had, you also mentioned that you played with a uh, Canon thirty-five one point five. Yes, oh. yes, and it was it was it was lovely. I was ex- when I, when I saw it. In fact, actually, I, I thought it was a one point. Uh, what did I think it was? A one point eight, and then I was told no, it's a one point five. Mm-hmm. So I didn't didn't look at it closely enough. Um, but yeah. I know that when I I think I was just like looking, just gazing through its glass, um, and sort of half expecting it to be you know cloudy, full of haze, and uh, but no, it was, it was crystal clear. Um, so, yeah. uh, that is one of yeah. the lenses that I want the most because <laughs> yeah. it's the fastest 35 millimeter uh, LTM lens, and it's it's much larger than the 1.8, but it has it has some pretty extreme field curvature, so you get some yeah. really funky looking shots with it. Yeah, I mean, it's it, yes, it's bigger, but it's uh, the flip side. It's not a large lens um, by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. But yeah, in comparison, yes, I, I guess it is. But uh, but no, it's it's not a particularly large lens overall. Well, that's the beauty of LTM lenses, isn't it? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, even even the big ones aren't that big, <laughs> unless <laughs> unless it's like the Dream lens or something. Yeah, yeah. But even that isn't okay. It's it's pretty big, but it for. It, it, an SLR version would be a lot bigger again, yeah. wouldn't it? So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's all exactly. <laughs> so, totally. um, so yeah, so that's that, that's my week, and I'm going back again, uh, which I'm really really pleased about. So, uh, looking looking forward to that. So, uh, Johnny, what, what have you Very been up cool. to? I'm shooting a little bit. Uh, I have a stack of negatives here to start digitizing. Hopefully today. Uh, to get some some more stuff back out there, I I got a few things up on Instagram finally, uh, but I have a lot more that I need to do. Um, I have been playing with uh, this week my Petri Penta SLR, um, and yeah, I've really kind of been enjoying it. It's 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 I just don't shoot that much with SLRs anymore, and this is a very strange SLR as I was describing I think last podcast. Um, with the lens on here being the Oracore um, 50 millimeter f2, which is definitely a, an unusual and funky lens. Um, and you know, sometimes you can somewhat see the character of the lens right through the viewfinder. Um, that's definitely the case with this one, uh, you know, looking at it wide open. So I, I'm, I'm really excited to get, get, to see the shots coming out of this thing. Cause I, I think they're going to be interesting and I don't usually shoot a lot of stuff close to wide open, but I've been doing that with this lens. So that's been going on. Um, I've also been shooting. John, Johnny, I'm just yeah. going to say, um, besides, I've had a bit of a radio silence on that lens for quite some time. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> and it's blown that right one out now. Uh, and I'm just going to say that's it's, it's a, it's a lens I've been after for ages. Um, and, I believe I'm not sure if it's actually got an Ultron 
uh, formulation in it or something, but it is actually a unique lens, and it's not the same as the lenses that that followed it because yeah, and, and you yeah. see this sometimes on 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 eBay where you'll see a Petri fifty mil f two, and it'll be just like a normal thing or perhaps even with a Pentax K mount or something like that, and right. people, and sellers are asking silly money for it because they see an old one going for quite a bit of money and they just uh, apply the same logic. Well, this must be the same as uh, is that one, and it's newer, so therefore let's, yeah. let's try and get seventy pounds or hundred dollars for it or something like that. But it's that that particular lens, the the, the Oracle uh, one, is. Um, yeah. It's just something I've been after for, for ages now. I've seen shots with it, and it does have a, it does have its own signature. Yeah, and and at this point, I mean, just playing with it so far, I would definitely recommend it if you come across one, because um, I, I mean, it it handles nicely. It's unusually the preset, as we I know we talked about it a little bit, is definitely kind of unusual in in how it in how it works. It's just an interesting lens. I mean, they they, I think. You know the Petri folks were really trying to innovate and compete, honestly, with what was coming out of uh, you know primarily um, uh, Pentax and Nikon in the early 1960s, late 50s, early 60s. So they were, you know, they were doing some things in a house. I think that were really innovative with this this first SLR they put out, which was really kind of my interest in in picking it up. Um, and yeah, this, this lens is definitely, uh, unusual in a lot of ways. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it actually renders, but it handles pretty nicely. Mine's got a little bit of a heavy focus on it just cause it's old. Um, it could probably use some cleaning out, but it, it handles nice and, uh, it's just, it's really unique and you don't, I feel like you don't come a lot across a lot of, you know, really unique off the wall designs, um, for for m42 lenses it's just it's not like most of them i've used so yeah after yeah. you mentioned it johnny i went and looked at some photos on Flickr. i think and okay it's, yeah it's a lens that has bags of character yeah it really does it really does it's neat it's a neat lens so yeah so i've got uh that one going on and then um, as I've talked about for a few episodes here, I've been shooting my blue Bessa, which um, I am really loving this Bessa R. Uh, I mean, I really like this camera a lot, more than it's I so thought I was going to. Um, yeah. And, and can I clarify something about that camera? Yeah. Because uh, there was a little exchange a couple episodes ago and also in the Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook group where Simon asked, is it just a Bessa L with a rangefinder on it? And um, Simon was like, oh, that's disappointing. It's really not. Because um, yeah. if you put the two of them side by side, like the Bessa L feels a lot more plasticky in its dials and knobs. Right. Whereas the Bessa R, it, it's it's more robust feeling. You know, the ISO dial is one of those pull-up rings inside the shutter dial. Right. Uh, and right. it feels more like a real camera. I think it's I think it's more, in the hand, it feels more like the, the kind of modern Bessas. Uh, yeah, than yeah. It's really yeah, and I, I have an L in one hand right now. Wait, 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 hold on. I got an L in my left hand and an R in my right. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to get a tattoo on the back of each of my hand. One's going to say Be Bessa L and one's going to say Bessa R. It'd be like a Blues Brothers thing. Um, but yeah, they're, they feel very different in the hand. Um, and I mean, the, the Bessa R that I have was is also – you know that blue limited edition and they put 
the top deck fittings are are not plastic they're um they're chrome so it has even i think a additional a bit of a nicer feel to it but it's it's a really nice feeling camera the viewfinder is excellent um and kind of having this in my bag along with a canon p is i feel like i've like finally got the perfect two camera kit that i could just kind of carry around you know two cameras and then four lenses and do pretty much anything you know i mean i think i think without question it is um the best shooter ltm body if you just want something for day-to-day use yeah 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 no i i I agree it's it's really really nice um so i've been shooting that and what i've had up until this until well yesterday i've been shooting the uh uh, Topcon lens on it, so the the fifty millimeter f two uh, Topcon yeah. S, which you know we've gone on and on and on about that lens. So now that I've shot about I don't know three or four rolls with it, I was like, you know, I think I'm gonna put the uh, Canon fifty one eight back on because that's a lens that I really enjoy also, and it, it, for I don't know the past six eight months has been in my bag as a carry around. Um, just haven't used it very much. Uh, but now that I've been shooting the top gun, I'm like, you know, I kind of want to go back and shoot the cannon and spend some more time with that. And I have to say two things <laughs> that I think I, well, I know Perry is going to have an alternate opinion on. Um, and I know that Hamish would as well if he were here, but one thing I actually prefer about the Canon 518 is the longer focus throw. And the infinity lock. <laughs> what? Yeah. I know. I know, man. I know. I know. No, I, I, I actually prefer longer focus throws. I, to me, the, one of the things that I find about uh, shorter focus throw lenses is that I'm a little – I feel a little less certain in my focusing accuracy because there's so little movement between – you know, focus, especially on the near infinity end. So that, and that, you know, everything between basically between 25 feet and infinity, I feel like I, I've got a better chance of being more accurate on my focus with a longer throw lens. Um, and I just, I don't know. I don't, I just guess I don't mind the infinity lock that it's there or not there, but I like the focusing tab and I like that little bit of spring, you know, that I get when I, I move the tab because it's got the lock on it. So yeah, I know. Wait, wait. So, so I, I get the longer focus throw, especially on a Bessa R, where the base length is yeah. pretty short. Pretty short. But how can the presence of an infinity lock possibly make it more accurate at the infinity? No, like, what, not, what is the benefit of that thing? I'm not claiming that the infinity lock makes it more accurate. I just like it. I just like okay, it. but but that's that's contradictory, right? Because oh, yeah. if you're saying it's hard to focus near infinity, then with the infinity lock to get that last little bit from um, oh i see what you said no i just well i've got it pressed in so it doesn't lock oh so you 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 press the button and then focus like that yeah yeah i got my finger on the i got my my fingertip on the um focus tab which is depressing in the focus lock so it never locks so the benefit of the infinity lock is that you can disable it no, it's just it's there. I mean, I I don't even I just yeah, no, I, guess I I don't I don't mind it is what I'm saying. It's just I don't mind the infi- the, the the I don't mind the fact that it locks at infinity, and I like the kind of the feel of an infinity lock, a tab with an infinity lock because it's got that little bit of like 
uh, positive movement to it, right? So like I can press in and it, the, the, the tab is sort of like turning a little bit because I have it depressed in and the spring is giving a little resistance. It's totally a tactile thing. It, I, I'm not claiming that it in any way aids in correct, more correct focus. Okay. Yeah, I just okay. like, yeah, I, I I just like I kind of get that. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I, I, I hate infinity locks with a bird. I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. So I'm just. <laughs> I was going to say I'm with I'm with Perry with that with that one as well um, because uh, I had a oh a 90, about a 1970 I think it was uh, Sumicron uh, Sumicron M uh, with a with a big fat focus tab on the bottom of it and of course I wasn't using it with a rangefinder I was using it with uh, with my Sony. And I hated, hated the thing. So I just couldn't actually just use the lens in the way that I want to. But I, 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 I get it with you, Johnny. You just want something to hang off and hang, hang on to while you use yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And the the other thing that I like about so I make one other um, one other claim, specifically, really more about the longer uh, focus throw. One thing I really like about this lens and my Canon. Uh, 35.28 does exactly the same thing. In other words, I think they have exactly the same position where the focus lock is located. So if I have the focus tab at the 6 o'clock position, so pointing straight down, right, um, my focus is at 12 feet. And then if I turn the tab to the, what would that be? the three o'clock position. So like on a, a 45 degree angle, my focus is at about four and a half feet. Okay. So, um, I usually think about focusing in terms of meters, but so basically I've got in one position, my focus is at about, you know, a meter and a half. And then at my other position that that six o'clock position, the focus is at about, uh, what, two and a half meters. So, to me, as a street shooter, I know that I don't. It's like an extra, additional way to think about zone focusing. If I have my finger straight below the lens, right, I'm I'm zone focused at twelve feet, which is just about totally perfect for street shooting. Like twelve feet yeah, at that's eight that's or that's eleven. That's yeah, that's and then and then if it, let's say I I I I I happen upon a closer subject. Instead of trying to be, have any kind of accuracy with the with the range finder, I can just turn another, you know, that quarter turn back to like the three o'clock position, and now I'm at I'm at I'm at like the perfect close focus distance for if I'm I'm like really close to a person for street photography. I'm at like you know I'm at like one and a half meters. So it's like it becomes another kind of unconscious way to focus where I can really quickly you know, pull focus to, you know, those two distances that are the two most common distances I, I tend to shoot on the street anyway. So, and, and that's one thing that has always kind of bothered me a little about the Canon 35 F2, which I love optically, but the focus throw is so short that I can't really focus that way. You know what I'm saying? I can do yeah, it. I mean, the 30, it yeah. You just get used to it, right? Because I, I feel exactly the same way. I just have muscle memory for shorter focus throws. And exactly, that, see, that's all it is. And and for me, um, you know, I like that little bit longer throw because I just I can tell by touch exactly where I am. But that's all it is. You're right. It's a muscle memory thing. You know. 
Something that, that strikes me about this this conversation, though, is that I mean, I've I've long been a proponent for um, saying that the way that a lens feels is as or sometimes more important than the image quality that 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 you get from it, um, and that's specifically when in the past I've been, I've been talking more about when adapting to to digital. And there are just some lenses I just prefer to use, even though there is something that might be a little bit sharper or, or whatever. But does that does that apply more so then with rangefinder lenses? Because you're not actually, when you're using a rangefinder lens, you're not seeing through the lens. Um, yeah. it's all about the feel, and and the well, yeah. and there is going to be something about the way one lens renders o over another. But is the difference in rendering? Um, less important than the actual feel? It depends on what you're shooting, right? Um, but if you're shooting street like Johnny and I both do, um, I think that is the case. I mean, like last week, the first two of my Desert Island lenses, were they're not my best lenses uh, image quality-wise on the Leica M. But I, I love the way that they handle, and that's why they were there. So I, I think that's, that's spot on. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's very true for me. I, I feel like um, some of my favorite lenses. I I know other other lenses will maybe out render them. I mean, it, I just the two that I just mentioned. I actually prefer much prefer the feel of the Canon LTM thirty five two eight over the f two. But I just I've gotten so used to the f two, and I just I like the size and the feel of it. You know, so I end up shooting it more. But I'd rather on, on a pure handling basis shoot the 2.8 even though i it just does not have the same pop it's good i'm not saying it's not good but it doesn't have the same pop as the f2 lens um, yeah and it's um again you know what you get used to in muscle memory because i've had all totally. three of them. i've had the f2 the f2.8 and the f1.8 yeah. and the 1.8 yeah. was my favorite in terms of the way it rendered yeah. uh, but i got rid of both it and the f2.8 because the infinity log just there, yeah there you go so there you go and and i do think especially for you know at least for me, for for street photography with the rangefinder, I I don't spend a lot of time trying to get super critical focus. You just can't. You miss things, you know. So I feel like the more I'm able to kind of like snap focus in without really even necessarily looking at it in the rangefinder. I'm using it more for just framing, you know. So so yeah, for for that type of photography, I find it a certain type of lenses are um, more useful or I, I mesh better with them, you know? See, that's really interesting because when I shoot on the street, um, I think the way that I focus and the technique that I've practiced over and over again, I, I can usually focus and lock focus pretty quickly yeah. um, as long as I'm confident in my, like, focus, frame, click, uh, smooth movement so that, that I'm sense. not messing around and trying to find the focus point. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like I I always tend to do that by default. Maybe because I shot with SLRs for so long, because you you know. Yeah, because they, they like, train you to rack back and forth. They do, and it, and it's bad. I can like I can definitely screw myself up doing that. So I try to not do that as much as I would. You know what I'm saying? I I try to not go down that down that path where I'm like trying to micro focus stuff on a rangefinder, especially. But my brain is kind of trained to do that from shooting that way for so long and it's sometimes i if i'm not really paying attention i miss things so for me you know i really like zone focusing as much as i can and then 
you know, if I really need to focus on something, I'll take the time to do that, but I don't want to miss things. So, yeah. you know, a lens that handles that way to me is, is really helpful. So, yeah. Um, I feel like we're just still at, Hey, how are you? <laughs> we've, we've all gone down this great path already. And I don't even think we were like, I've gone over to say, Hey Perry, how are you today? <laughs> so we should say, so can I, can I introduce Perry here by saying that, um, I had a dream that Perry was in last night and, and this is, this is not a dream that needs to be censored. It's all good. Um, so I had this I had this dream that a friend of mine had all these uh, cameras that they came upon somehow that they bought at an auction or I don't know what it was they bought it from Simon probably um, but they they had th this whole bunch of cameras and and in this pile of cameras they had were <laughs> um, were uh, the Makina six seven um, the uh, and a Leica M six and a and a Bessa, I think it was an R2. Um, <laughs> now, I don't have any of, the, any of those cameras, right? And I would like to have all of those cameras. So, so all these cameras were here, and, and they're like, well, I've talked to this person. They're like, well, I'm going to keep the Makina. That's going to be like $1,200. But I'll sell you the Bessa or the M6 for $500. And I'm like trying to like get, like get a hold of Perry like Perry 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 should I buy which one should I get and I'm like I, I know what Perry's gonna say he's like you're an idiot just get the M6 so I'm like so, all right so I'm gonna get the M6 right and now I'm in my dream I'm like rummaging around for for scrap metal that I can sell <laughs> to try to come up with $500 to buy the M6 I'm like literally like you know they're these guys in Chicago that uh drive up and down the alleys in these pickup trucks with these kind of like big um, uh, sides on them, fences on the side, and they'll pick up scrap metal. So they, you know, there's these trucks that are going down the alleys that have like, uh, like 10 feet of scrap metal in the back of them. And I'm talking like, you know, mattress springs and old bicycles and tricycles and garbage can lids and <laughs> anything metal that they can put in the truck that they then take to the scrap yard and they get paid by the pound. So I'm like, you know, rummaging around for metal that I can take to the scrapyard to buy an M6. So, like something out of John Q. Yeah, bi yeah, basically, yeah. So that was my my first thought of Perry today was <laughs> Perry <laughs> telling me buy the M6, dummy. <laughs> so Perry, how are you? <laughs> that is the correct choice. I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's it's been raining nonstop in Hong Kong this week, so I haven't done too much shooting, but I did go. And uh, do a little shoot with my friend yesterday. Um, so, so this is a friend of mine who's also into photography, and he has a relatively large Leica collection. Um, his name is Anthony, but he he's recently switched to uh, a Canon system because he's been taking photos of his little daughter who's just under one years old, and he was like, "She's too fast. I can't I can't focus on her." Um, so I have to. I have to use autofocus. So they asked me to take some photos of the the three of them because they didn't have any with uh, their entire family. And so um, I, I did that shoot and the photos I sent last night, they looked really good. I went with a rangefinder, uh, my M240, and shot with three ZM lenses and that Chioko 45mm f2.8. Uh. Um, so, you know, some cool swirly effects. And, you know, just as an aside, the ZM lenses are so nice. They are, if, 
if I could have all of them, uh, I think I think I would because I mean they're just fantastic. Um, other than that, I the other two top core five CMF two point eight uh, lenses arrived with their cameras that they were attached to. Um, so I got these on uh, Japanese auctions for pretty cheap. So it was a bit of a gamble on the condition. Um, one of them was pretty good, but it was front focusing. And the other one, the front element's pretty scratched up. Uh, and But that one focused bang on. So basically, I spent my entire Saturday reined in at home doing surgery. Uh, <laughs> I took apart the two lenses and I swapped the shims, um, hoping that it would work out. And it did. So so the the clean one now has a perfect shim in it and it focuses spot on. And the other one is just there as decoration. But, uh, Perry, but they really- Perry, I'm just 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 thinking yeah. for those uh, uh, those of us that aren't entirely familiar with this, because it, it, it's probably fair to say that the majority of listeners are people that adapt lenses onto digital cameras and front focusing and things like that. Doesn't really matter when you're uh, adapting to to a mirrorless camera, but when you're using it on a, a rangefinder film camera, it makes a big difference. Do, do you want to just explain what what it is that you're you're talking about there? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so basically, when you're focusing on a rangefinder, you're not looking through the lens. So unlike on an SLR or a digital camera where you can just see where it's focused, on a rangefinder, it, it has to be calibrated with the actual coupling mechanism. So um, what I use my digital camera for a lot is when I get a new rangefinder lens, I'll focus with the rangefinder and then check that focus against the live view image. And then you can see really clearly if it's off. Um, and the way that you adjust it is at least on, 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 well, no, on pretty much every lens when the final step of assembly, uh, they have the optical block and then they have the focusing helicoid and the distance has to be spot on so that the range finder coupler, uh, that attaches to the camera is, is also kind of optically calibrated. So the way they do this is each lens has a little metal ring inside, uh, called a shim, which is basically a spacer between the optics and the focusing mechanism. And that shim is adjusted so that the focus is correct. So if you're testing a rangefinder lens and it's front focusing, so like it looks like it's in focus in the viewfinder, but the actual image is focused uh, in front of your focus point, then that means your lens optically is too far forward. So you have to remove or, or shorten the shim. If it's back focusing, uh, so you know it's focused behind the focus point that you see in the viewfinder, then you have to add shims um, to adjust that focus. So there are a lot of ways you can do this. Uh, I have shims from broken cameras and lenses that I just use as parts. I've also made paper shims where you just cut out a ring of paper and then use that to adjust the spacing. Um, But in this case, I got lucky. The the two pieces of metal in each of these lenses were were quite noticeably different in thickness. And so I just switched them and um, one of them was perfect. Wow, nice. Yeah, I hope that I hope that made sense. It was, that's a great explanation. Thank you for that. It's, it's also one reason why a lot of people hate rangefinders <laughs> because you also have to make sure that the rangefinder coupling mechanism in your camera yeah. is correctly calibrated. So you know you can have a lens that's perfect, but your camera is off, and then it looks right. like the lens is off, and uh, it can be a huge pain in the butt. Uh, <laughs> so yes, yeah. Uh, so uh, apart from that, I also did uh, some camera surgery as well because the two lenses came with Leotax cameras. And I have another Leotax camera, a TV2 model, which is really nice because um, it's basically a Barnack 
like a clone, but it has a advanced lever and yeah. uh, frame lines yeah. with uh, sort of parallax close focus marks. So the other two cameras, they each had their own problems. One has fungus in the viewfinder. The other one, the slow shutter speeds don't work. Um, but what I discovered was the Leotax cameras pretty much use interchangeable parts. So on my nice Leotax, there were basically two issues with it. The film rewind knob was really, really tight. And then the uh, uh, base plate was a bit corroded. So I just I took apart one of the cameras and used it as a parts camera to swap the rewind dial shaft and the base plate. And now I have a really nice TV2. Those are nice cameras. <laughs> Those are really nice cameras. That's awesome. That is that is nice to have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. And uh, two more things that came with these. I mean, this is getting into, like, super nerdery. But one accessory that... We, we don't do that here, Perry. I don't know. <laughs> you were misinformed that being on this show, you would be able to dive into super nerdery, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So one of them came with a Canon 100 millimeter external viewfinder, which I, I don't know why, because the lens was 50 millimeter, but it's a it's a one to one viewfinder for 100 millimeters, and underneath wow. the hot shoe, there's another hot shoe attachment, which is called a finder coupler. Yeah. So basically, what this is is another hot shoe with a distance adjustment on it, and it'll do parallax correction for external viewfinders, which is super cool. Yeah, and and the thing that's even cooler <laughs> about that is that um, some of the Canon LTM cameras, the 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 nicer models have a little. It's basically like a ball bearing, and it, as you uh, turn the focus ring, it moves that shoe up and down. So it sort of auto parallax correct auto parallax corrects the viewfinder, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, so, the Canon 35mm external viewfinder, which I have, has that auto-parallax correction. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know which cameras have that ball bearing. Um, I think it's like the L... Uh, the, like the L1, L2, L3. It's that like that series. Um, Damn, like I the, had the one and I sold it. Yeah, the, like the P... The, the Canon P doesn't have it, so it's the yeah. models previous to the Canon P. And I'm kind of generalizing here. It's not all of them, but it's it's basically the um, that line of cameras, and um, yeah, it's really kind of an amazing feature because it, it, generally, I mean, how do you get any kind of accuracy? You know, really over 50 millimeters with your parallax and everything, unless you have some way to correct for it, and to do that in an external viewfinder is really a neat trick. Yeah, and with one to one, it's great. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. You just, just, remind, uh, just. I was going to say, just reminded me there when you talk about um, Canon LTM 100 mil. Uh, in that uh, collection that I was going through last week, there's the outer box for a Canon LTM 100 f2. Mm. We've not found the. We've not actually found the lens yet. <laughs> we don't even okay. know if the lens is there, but the box is there, <laughs> and boy, do we want to find it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a nice lens, and and the hundred three point five is one of the great bargains in uh, LTM mount. Actually, that, that, that's a that's a point. I was I was chatting to somebody about the. Uh, it was actually a chap I, I met while I was out out and about once, and uh, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, in fact, and he he uses a uh, that lens, one hundred three point five, and which he describes as uh, low contrast and has a propensity to flare. 
um, and he uses those characteristics effectively. Um, but I'm, I'm, I was questioning whether or not actually are they truly characteristics or are they actually potentially defects in in that lens. Um, flare, a lot of the Canon LTM lenses do have weird flare, like the 35 F2, it flares in a pretty annoying way, um, where you get, just get like some, uh, uh veiling flare down the middle, but the mm. 100 3.5, a, a lot of these lenses, including that one are very prone to haze. Mm. And sometimes it's the kind of haze that you can't see unless you shine a light through, but it will yeah. reduce the contrast. Um, so it could be that. Yeah. That was, that was my, that was my suspicion, but I, I obviously I couldn't actually see the lens, but, uh, but yeah. Um, cool. And then one more thing, one more thing I got to talk about. Um, you know, the first time I was on the podcast, we talked about putting Instax in uh, medium format cameras, right? Yeah. And I, I don't have a Polaroid back for any of my medium format cameras. So when I was raided in the other day, I was, uh, playing around with this. So I took a sheet of Instax and I put it in my Rollercord, uh, VB and, it worked. I took a shot and it, it looked pretty cool. So, but that was at night. So I tried it again during the day and, you know, I got pretty solid results, but with like black bars at the top and bottom of the frame. Um, so I got kind of excited and was like, what other cameras can I try this on? So oh, then well, I did it. With I, my, I was going to say, can we just re rewind a little bit there? So, um, yeah. so you put, uh, Instax film in the, in a Roly, is that correct? Yes. Roly flex. And so, there's there's a few things that we've got to talk about this. Um, uh, <laughs> I've, done, I've done this as well. It's a, it's neat. Yeah. Okay. Well, between you, if you can just explain the process of what you're actually doing to get the film in there and also getting uh, producing an image from it. Well, I use a very rudimentary method. I don't have a back or anything, so I just put the rolly cord. Um, well, I tried three different cameras. The third one worked best with a caveat, but I put it in the dark bag and then I put my Instax camera in the same dark bag, take the film um, cartridge out, and then the bit of the back of the Instax where it says, like, do not press, uh, press that. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> use my finger to slide a sheet of film out. And then I take that film and I put it inside the roller cord using the rollers um, as a guide. And then just close both of them up and take the camera out and take a photo and then put them back in the bag uh, and reverse the process. And, and to put it back in, um, I, I basically what I did was I slid a little sheet of Instax out of the cartridge and used that as like a guide to get the exposed film back in. Um, and then I just put it back in the Instax camera, covered the lens and took a shot and then it spat out. I mean, it's a lot of work for one image, but it worked. Right, and and it's it's Instax films. Right? Is it eight hundred ISO or something like that? Isn't it? Yeah, it's ISO eight hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, tr tricky stuff to use. Well, what I wanted to see was how sharp can Instax film be, because um, you know the lenses suck on the the plastic Fujis. So I try I tried this on my Agfa Isolet three afterwards, um, which was pointless because it has the same six by six frame as the roller cord. So I was still going to get the black bars. And that, with, through that process, I discovered that the shutter speeds on my Isolet 3 are not accurate. Because yeah. uh, on negative film, you know, it, it, it doesn't really matter. So then the final thing I did was I tried it on my Fuji GW693, uh, which is a 6x9. It's nicknamed the Texas Leica, right? It's a 6x9 rangefinder that's just like, it's huge. 
And the entire sheet of Instax film, Instax Mini, fits perfectly inside the little, <laughs> uh, inside the little back. It, it, it's almost like it was a match made made in heaven. So I put that together, and then I closed it, and I was super excited. I was like, I'm going to go take a photo. And then I went to take a photo, and nothing happened because the GW690. You have to have film in it. Yeah. Unless you open the back and then the shutter will fire. So I was like, oh, I, I totally forgot. So what I did was I just, I, I cracked the back open, but kept it as close to closed as possible. Uh, and then I took a shot. Um, and it worked. You know, there's a little light leak at the bottom, but the, the image is super sharp. And I was like, cool. This is, this is what Instax Mini is actually capable of. Oh, well, I, I think I might. I've got a I've got a Kodak medalist, and that, I think that's six by nine. I mean, so that uses six six twenty uh, roll film, which is a pain to deal with anyway. So I might actually yeah. give give that a go. So I've got some Instax. You're using Instax wide, was that sorry? Instax mini. Instax mini. So so yeah, try um, try it with an exposed sheet because the thing with the GW six ninety is I'm putting the film kind of inside uh, the the hole a little bit because it doesn't rest on top of the rollers. There's a little bevel inside where it fits perfectly. I don't know if every six by nine camera will have that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I've got, I've only got Instax wide, so uh, I don't know if that sounds like it might not, uh, it might not fit then. I'll check. Give it a go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've, I've, uh, <clears throat> I've done it in my Rolleiflex with, uh, the cut the plate adapter because I have the plate adapter back, so it's it's easier then because you can load the film into the film holders, the individual sheath holders, and so yeah. now you don't have to like put one sheet right. You can actually carry like film holders like you would with a four by five and slide them in and make one shot. So it's a little bit easier to do it that way. But yeah, Perry, the thing is like it is a, like disappointing to get the black. No matter what you do, you're going to get some black bar at either the top or bottom. Um, and I've actually thought about experimenting with putting the Instax film into one of those new Instax printer uh, camera device things and like putting like text in that black area at the bottom. Like, you know, what I'm you know, what I'm talking about like you could screw oh, around with doing, like a, a double exposure. So I, I, I'd love to do that at some point if I had the time and money to throw at that funky experiment. Well, you don't get the black bars with six by nine, but uh, no, you also don't six get by nine. Yeah. But in the, you know, with the individual sheet holders and the rolly, it would be nice to get the full image, but it's not going to quite get there. Fun experiment though. That's great. I, I, I like it in the, uh, in the Fuji six by nine. That's great. That's a great idea. Yeah. If there were a way to, Make it fire um, without the back open. That would be that would be perfect. Yeah. So, just real quick. I mean, um, I, there we have one of those cameras at the shop, and I keep looking at it. Like the earlier conversation we had about hurry up and sell it. Like <laughs> that's my worst camera right now. Is that is that Fuji? It's the G, GSW six nine. The first the first one. Oh, um, the GS the wider angle lens the wider angle lens yeah it's like a 28 millimeter equivalent in 35 and i'm like uh i really kind of want this camera <laughs> and that lens is supposed to be great i've got a friend who's got like the you know the later model with the same the same lens and he showed me some um some shots that he took on it they look really nice so it's i'm like very 
Yeah. yeah so I'm like really thinking I need one of those. <laughs> but you know what's weird? Um, for some reason, I find that I like the results on 645 better. Yeah. Uh, even though the negative is double the size, like my go-to medium format rangefinder is my Bronica RF645. Yeah. And the the images on I get from that look look not only sharper, but uh, with more of that kind of pop than yeah. Uh, yeah, I yeah. the food, which I'm not sure why, because it's like it's half the size, but it, it looks fantastic. No, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. And and I think we've touched on this about six four five being kind of a ideal format in some ways because the lenses are so high resolving you know yeah because um, for the smaller format they have to design the lenses it, to do exa- more than that yeah exactly exactly it's it's kind of like the pen f lenses they're so good because they have to resolve so much detail you know on the smaller piece of film so i 645 that's that's why i, I keep going back and forth i'm like well i kind of like to get a mamiya 645 and then but i don't really like that style of camera that that much and then i'm like well if i got the six by nine but i don't know so i'm just gonna keep going back and forth and not get either one which is probably best (laughs) yeah for your wallet at least yeah exactly (laughs) all right so so perry you did some crazy instax experimentation um and what else you've been up to anything else you want to talk about uh, I haven't been up to much specifically, but you know, since this is my first crack at joining you guys um, as a host on the show, uh, there are a couple things that I do want to talk about. All right. Um, so the first is a couple of lenses that I didn't get to mention last week, but I think are cool. Um, the first will be really quick because Simon put some outtakes at the end of last week's episode about it. But the the... The Zeiss Biogon 35mm f2.8. Um, this was top of my shortlist for ages before I switched it for the Summicron. But, like, this is the best 35mm lens on Rangefinder. Can I just make that bold claim? I know there are people out there who will agree with me, uh, like Eric and Mike Novak. But, yep. it, you know, 35mm is one of those focal lengths where it's wide enough that a lot of the times you don't really shoot from a character, especially on a Rangefinder where you're not going to focus up close. But it's a lens that, you know, when I shoot with the Biogon, I have, I have two of them. I have the Zeiss ZM uh, C Biogon and the Contax RF version. Um, I don't have the LTM version because I can't find one. But, like, the, the pop on that and, in particular, the way that it renders uh, gray tones on black and white film just looks so good. Mm. You know, it's, it's crazy sharp, but more importantly, it just... Uh, it looks better than every 35 millimeter lens out there. It's the best one. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Just uh, that you just triggered. Well, not triggered, but uh, I just remembered something uh, that came out of uh, last week's podcast where we were talking about the uh, king of Boca um, oh, okay. 35 two, and we were all like scratching the heads. And I can't, I can't remember who it was that uh, that that picked it out so apologies there uh, but there was a uh, somebody made the post to say that yes it was referring back to something quite some time ago as we suspected uh, but it wasn't talking about Boca in the way that perhaps we tend to talk about Boca now um, it was actually talking about when uh, the lenses like say 
stop down. I think it was to five point six or so, and just yeah. how the you know the outer focus area looked at that point, and um, and it just looks particularly good in used in that particular way. And uh, and this this person then. Uh, gave it that title as a, as a result of that so it's that sort of explains a little bit more about how the how the the, the title came about was it didn't didn't really make too much sense in in today's um viewpoint of what boker is yeah it was at 5.6 at medium distances which is kind of strange to get i mean you know it is nice when you shoot it like that but that, that doesn't warrant the nickname and the Zeiss is better. Yeah, King, King and Boker in very, very, very specific circumstances. <laughs> um, okay, so then the, the other lens I just want to quickly mention is uh, a really, really unique lens um, in my collection, which is the Alpa Kern Macro Switar, uh, which is a 51.8 that I have. There's also a 51.9 that's way more expensive. Um, this is a weird lens, and, and one, one of the lenses that I kind of bought on a whim. Um, so Alpa is one of these weird companies. You know, it was it, it's based in Switzerland, and the modern-day Alpa, someone else took over the brand, and they make those, like, big medium format and, and movie cameras. Um, but back in the day, Alpa, they were a watchmaking company, um, Pignon. I think that's how you, you pronounce it. And uh, the cameras they made to like an extraordinary degree of over-engineering, but then the lenses they outsourced to companies like Kern and Schneider um, and Ingenue. And this lens is, I, th I don't know of any other lens that does this other than this, a, a few of these Alpa lens, uh, Alpa mount lenses. It works on their SLR bodies, but it's also rangefinder cup. And there are two Alpa bodies that have both a rangefinder and an SLR reflex bearer. So it's, it's the only macro lens I own. But what's super interesting is when I stick it on my Alpa uh, SLR, it, it just shoots like an SLR lens. But then if I put it on an adapter, it will couple on my Leica M's uh, up to the point where you get to close focus. And as far as I'm aware, I don't know of any other lenses that do this. It's super neat. News to me, certainly. How about you, Johnny? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Those cameras are crazy. <laughs> well, there's, there's there's something about that actually that lens, but I don't think it is actually that lens. But there's um, just going back to the history of Alpa, and I think we talked about this with Shia Morrison, um, because in where we we talked about uh, Shinon or Chinon and Tommy Oker and. And, and so on and uh, because there was a, a tie-in uh, between Shinon and Alp in the in the dying days of, oh yeah uh, and there was there there is a um, quite sought after lens but and and that's the I think it's actually a 55 1.7 macro and there's been there's lots of debate debate on the internet with there's lots of debate in photography with classic lenses at the time about whether that Shinon lens was uh the same uh whether it was actually you know, made with um uh kern glass i think it was kern or switar switar um or, or not and i think the jury is ever so ever so slightly out i just wonder if you've got any if you've got a take on on, on yeah. that story i i don't think that's the case because when the uh, the Alpas got transferred over to Chinon, 
um, those newer models are a lot less sought after by collectors. Like the Alphas are very, very sought after by collectors. Um, but the the finish um, and certainly the standards to which they built the lenses and the bodies, I, it would really surprise me if they're, you know, the same in any way. Because, like, you can tell that these bodies are made by Swiss watchmakers. There's, there's a couple of really weird things. Like the, the focus advance, um, sorry, the film advance, you grab it from the front and pull it backwards. Um, and then the... The most ridiculous thing about these cameras is the film rewind. Because, you know, you know, like on old SLRs, a lot of the times the film rewind, just like you pull it straight up, right? And then you start to like twirl it. Th- this one, you pull it up and then it, it kind of like falls diagonally at a 45 degree angle. So it's completely unnecessary. Um, and then the, the Kern uh, Macro Switar lens itself, it has a few really interesting design features that I don't think are on the newer lenses. Um, it, it has a really, really thin focus ring. And then as you focus it forward, the depth of field is indicated not by a traditional depth of field scale, but by like these two rows of orange dots. And then as you turn the aperture ring, like more and more orange dots appear, uh, which then correspond to your depth of field. It's totally unnecessary, but uh, it, I think it, it tells you a lot about this company's like design ethos back in the day. Yeah, well, I think, I, yeah, I, I was going to say it, it wasn't really so much about the cameras. I mean, the because I think those Alpa cameras were based off one of the late uh, Memotrons. I think uh, I, I, I can't remember which one, but it was just a story specifically about 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 the lens. I'm I'm minded to think that it was a um, Shinon stroke Tomioka lens. Um, but as I say, there, there are some people that uh, believe, and there, there are some stories of uh, of glass being left over um, that made its way over to Japan. So uh, in a sort of similar kind of way to some of the German glass heading, heading back to the Soviet Union after uh, after the war and such. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not sure about that. That's interesting. I mean, the one thing I do know is that the original cameras were designed by the same guy who designed the Bolex camera, mm. um, the the movie camera. Um, but it, it would really surprise me if the lenses are the same, because what I've seen from the Chinons is they don't handle anything like the Alpa. And then like, so the whole optomechanical design would have to be overhauled. Um, well, that's, that's ultimately that, that's going to be more about, well, certainly mechanically, but, um, not necessarily too much on the optically, because that's just going to be as much about the positioning of the optical block in, uh, compared to where the, the focal plane is, isn't it really? Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, so fe- feasible, but uh, jury's out, and uh, I'm I'm minded to believe it's uh, it, they are actually Japanese lenses. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, rather than these um, these uh, Swiss Swiss lenses, as uh, some people also believe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's Alpa cameras and the Kern Macro Switar lens, and the last thing that I want to talk about is. You know, we've been talking a lot about film recently on the last few episodes, but a lot of people who use classic lenses adapt them to digital cameras. And I want to hear more about your experiences with uh, the different focusing aids that are on digital cameras, because I have found none of them to be fully satisfactory. And I'm curious which ones you like best and which ones you guys find sort of work the best for you. Mm. Well, 
let's start with DSLRs first, because when you, when you just uh, said digital cameras, are, I'm, I'm guessing you're probably referring to mirrorless um, when you come to focusing aids, but there are, well, I can think, yeah, well, I'm just thinking, well, in, in, in the case of DSLRs, there's, there's only, I can only think of one um, inbuilt method uh, that appears on uh, some cameras and uh, such as Pentax and uh, and they can be done with um, EOS cameras, Canon EOS cameras, and that's focus assist, uh, focus confirm, I should say. Oh, the little red dot. Yeah, and that's, in the case of Canon, that's usually done with a, a chipped adapter. Mm -hmm. um, and But I, I, I've got a feeling uh, that, uh, that Pentax can actually do it without being chipped and uh, perhaps somebody could con confirm that if nobody else here can but i'm i'm sure i have a feeling they can they, it can actually be done with some certainly older pentax cameras i don't know if that still applies uh with 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 newer ones or not so uh, when the i assume the center part of the image is in focus you get a little beep or a light comes on uh, just to say that you are in focus much in the same way as uh, i've got a contax rx camera from uh, i'm not sure when they came out around about 2000 maybe the 90s um, and that's got focus confirm on it uh, using just standard uh contact yashica lenses but uh, it's and for me it was one of those things oh this is nice and then eventually i just gave up on it because i was far far more interested in using the the split prism than having a little uh, red light come on to tell me or a, whatever color it is to, to tell me that i'm now in focus yeah i've always wondered how that worked because on my old 5d um, I switched the focusing screen out for one of the more matte ones, but with the little focus confirm chip, you can you can just glue it onto an adapter, and it will give you that little red light confirmation. So somehow that little chipset just triggers the phase detection or something, and and it's always baffled me how that's working. But yeah, that, that works reasonably. Well. But I think most people who are adapting these days are doing it on uh, uh, mirrorless cameras because of the flange distances. Yeah, and. And I think the 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 first um, you could argue it's not actually a focus aid, uh, but the the most important thing for for me, and, and and what makes some cameras stand out more so than others is the actual quality of the EVF, the electronic uh, viewfinder, is uh, because if you know, generally the higher the resolution, the easier it is to focus. Although that said, though I've not actually used one of the very very latest um, super high res. Uh, focus screen so I mean I'm, I'm used to using a, a Sony a7 II and I think uh, my um, Olympus EM1 uh, has got a similar kind of resolution to it uh, but you, you use something that's when, when you're used to a, a certain level of resolution and then you, you drop uh, to a lower resolution um, EVF the sometimes you wonder how on earth you actually ever managed to use the thing in the first place <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's um, the Nikon Z7 is really nice with its screen resolution, um, but I uh, I have a Sony A7R2 and it's okay to zoom in, right? Um, but what's really annoying about that method is you have to and, and tell me if there's a way to change this. But on the A7R2, you have to press the zoom in button twice um, before it'll actually zoom. So like the first press selects the manual focus point, and the second one actually zooms in. But then I recently tried an A7R3, and that's way better because you can use the touch screen to select the focus point and then just press the focus, whatever, you know, custom button out of the 10,000 on the Sony you've set to 
focus zoom. You can just press that once and it zooms in, and it's it's uh, super nice. So I've never I've never had a problem with that. I've, I, you're not the first person I've heard um, talk talk about that. I, uh, I yeah, don't know I've heard, we've we've heard that comment before. I feel like the yeah. two touch. What the two the zooming in yeah, double two, press the, or the yeah yeah it's annoying you have you have to press like it's one more press right so you you can't yeah. do it as quickly well I mean I've got it on set onto on either custom one or two on the on the top plate of my camera I can't quite remember but there's two on the top plate and I got it yeah assigned to the left hand one and uh, for me it's 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 logical because when I've when I've composed my picture, the I press that button and it, it brings up the rectangle for where you're going to uh, magnify. And I may not want to magnify right in the center of the image, although ten, you know, nine times out of ten, I, that's exactly what I do. And then I, right. I, I recompose. But there are times, if, especially if I'm using a tripod, then I will want to move the uh, move it. So you could argue in most cases I probably don't need it, but I'm. It's it's just never been something that's 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 bothered me. I think it's never never consumed. Yeah, it's 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 okay. Um, I mean it's a little slow, but honestly, it's so much better on the A seven R three. Um, because a the touch screen you can set it to uh relative positioning. So like when you touch the screen, it starts you in the middle, and then as you move your thumb around, it just moves relative to that. So you don't have to press like exactly on the frame where you want to focus. And then you use the button to zoom in. So it's still a two press method, but it's almost like you use your thumb to select the focus area and then the uh, the button will single click to zoom in. And to me, that works so much more intuitively because I find that I'm just like mashing that button on my Sony when I'm trying to zoom in and focus, especially <laughs> if I'm trying to focus on a person who's moving. Yeah. I tried manual focusing at night once with, a, with my Sony and it was just like after three shots, I remember just thinking I should have brought my Leica. This is a <laughs> so I've never I've never been a fan of uh, touchscreen though. I mean I know lots of people are, uh, but I'm 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 a bit must be old school. I mean you're younger than me anyway. I mean we we talked about our ages earlier, and you're really young. Um, so uh, so uh, I think I, th I think that I think that's going to be it. Give me the give me buttons, please. Um, but uh, but we are just just on the subject of that. So we, we're talking about mag magnification there, uh, and that's that's absolutely my uh, favourite method of attempting to nail focus on something that's either stationary or uh, or moving very very slowly when shooting wide open. Because obviously, if you're shooting um, closed down a little bit, it, you, it's not quite as important. It's still important, but it's not as important but i've just remembered something that going back to the to the evf and I, i'm not entirely sure if this is by design or it just just seems to happen uh, but there's with the again with the sony a7 ii i don't know if it if it's the same on the on the r2 that you have because there's a you, you know you've got zeiss optics in your viewfinder whereas i haven't and um, whether that makes any difference or not i don't know uh, but you when when you're manually focusing you can sometimes get what appears to be um is it more more i can never quite remember how you, how you pronounce it yeah more and uh and if you if you actually train your eye to look for that more in the right place then if you magnify that point you find you're absolutely bang on so it's uh it's, it's a sort of peaking light uh method um, just just straight out of the evf and i I've, for me it works very very well oh I, I i can't say i've noticed more um unless i'm aiming at a screen but it, i mean it's clear enough when you zoom in that i i find that 
you know, at 12.5 zoom, uh, you can see very, very accurately where it's focused. But like sometimes you don't want to focus with the thing zoomed in, right? Yes. Sometimes you want to focus and frame all in the same go. Yeah, and, and that's, for me, that's, that's actually where that, that more uh, works particularly well for me uh, because I can, I can actually see something from from that. Um, like I say, I don't think it's designed that way. I think it's just something something that happens. But of course, the the other way uh, on, the, on Sony's again, at least, is... Um, for full screen uh, composition and focusing is uh, focus peaking. Yeah, and focus peaking on Sony's is is pretty. I, I don't know what it's like on the new ones, um, but it's pretty bad on the A7R2. Because I mean, I used to have a Fuji XT2, and I I sold that and downgraded it to an XT10. And the one thing that I really miss is the focus peaking was a lot easier to see. Um, on that X-T2 for some reason. Like the kind of transition from yeah. the plane of best focus to the non-focus bits, it's almost like the dots got smaller. Uh, like the, the, the peaking dots got smaller. So it was really intuitive to me. Whereas with the Sony, I tend to find that like everything is highlighted in red. Um, and then I take a picture and it's like, whoa, it's nowhere near what I was trying to focus on. Um, so at least on my A7R2, I find that that's, that's extremely unreliable. Yeah, I... I, I... I think that could be the reason why I don't use focus picking myself <clears throat> on the, excuse me on on my Sony. The only the only times where I've, uh, I've I have used this in the past uh, is when I need to be a little bit quicker uh, and the light isn't brilliant and I'm shooting with a telephoto lens and then perhaps I'm I'm shooting some wildlife or something like that with you know with a pretty wide open lens and then you can, it's it seems to be a little bit easier to judge and it seems to be more useful. Uh, but generally speaking, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fan and it could be I mean, just because with, it just doesn't work on, that very well on my camera. With peaking on red and then on the lowest setting, um, I find that it actually, it works really well on lenses that are not very sharp <laughs> because yeah. then there isn't so much that the, the, the camera wants to highlight. So like the one lens that I love using on my Sony more than I do on my rangefinders is the Canon uh, 51.2. LTM, because that lens is soft as heck wide open. Uh, and so the focus peaking on the Sony works really, really well because it doesn't try to highlight everything. But that's, you know, it's a soft lens. Yeah, I, I um, it's funny because I've used that lens quite a bit on the Fuji and I, I, I found the focus peaking to be really, really easy to use on the Fuji um, with many lenses, but with that one in particular, if for the reason that you said, Perry, I mean, it's like the, the actual, and the depth of field is so shallow on that lens. So the focus peaking I found to be really, really accurate on the Fujis with lenses like that, because it, it's, it's, and, and it's really only highlighting the actual correct focus. I mean, I like, I think you were kind of explaining it. It's almost like the, the fall off between, um, as you focus it in, you get a little bit of fall off between the actual sharpest area and the, yeah. you know, the areas that are more like the depth of field sharp. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I always found uh, on my Fuji's the focus peaking to be the, like the best manual focus I've ever used <laughs> in any yeah, type really of <laughs> any type of but, camera. <laughs> so I got kind of spoiled with it. Um, uh, and I think the the later models was it the X Pro three I think that's not I, yet. Uh, not the three <laughs> I'm sorry yeah the X Pro two has yeah. um, it has that mode where it will inset the magnified view within the larger oh, yeah I love that 
Yeah, so yeah. you're kind of getting both things, or all you're getting all of it. You're getting like the magnified view with with uh, peak focusing and the kind of the whole thing in one. Which yeah. I don't know, it seemed to work really well. I I I I mean, I haven't shot with those a ton, but I've demoed them at the shop, and I, I it I always found that peak focusing to be great on the on the Fujis. It's not as high resolution, I don't think, as on the Sony's, but in a weird way, it's almost like the the fact that it's not as high resolution made it more accurate because you could kind of tell the, you know, the out of the sort of depth of field focus versus the fine focus, you know, and yeah, that that's it, kind of the problem I had with the chipped adapters on like one of the reasons I just completely gave up trying to manual focus stuff on my, uh, my Canon was I got a, I had a chipped adapter and it was just totally useless because it, it, it all it would do was show, you know, depth of field. It didn't really ever show. I didn't feel like it gave any indication of actual sharp focus. It was just depth of field. So, can, can, that's can actually I what I the yeah. Uh, that's oh, sorry, what I went to the Fuji. So, yeah, I, I just want to sing the praises of the X Pro Two because um, you know I, I agree that Fuji's focus peaking implementation is is um, one of the best. The other methods don't work so well, like the weird di digital split prism. Yeah, no. The X Pro <laughs> okay. 2, I mean, I don't have one, but it's executed so beautifully. Yeah. Because the, the viewfinder in the viewfinder in the bottom corner, as you said, you know, you get this, the magnified view. You can use yeah. the joystick to move the focus point. Um, and you can use peaking in that mode. But then with the optical viewfinder, if you set the lens to the focal length that you're using... The, the optical viewfinder has like a few different like pieces of glass that'll slide back and forth and change yeah. your viewfinder magnification. And right. it's genius. It's so yeah. well executed. It's really nice. And, you know, they haven't, they haven't up, uh, announced the X-Pro3 yet. And I think as a result of that, like in Hong Kong, it's really hard to find secondhand X-Pro2s because yeah. I think the people who have them are just, are just keeping them. And the yeah. prices are going up now. I've never seen this happen. <laughs> With like an old digital camera, except maybe like the Epson RD1, yeah. um, and like, like an M9. But the the price on X Pro Twos is now going up, and I was like, what? Yeah, we never we never see them used. They just don't turn up used. People hang on to them because people are busy shooting them because they're so good. Yeah, yeah. I've got a I've got an X Pro One, but I get a sneaky feeling it doesn't have actually have any focus aids. I don't know. Is, is that is that true? Does it have the little viewfinder in the? bottom right hand corner no sure. no it yeah, doesn't I, you know it might you might be able to get focus peaking on that i thought i had it um but if it if it doesn't it i i'm sure it does yeah i'll, I'll have to have In a closer look i know that the that when i was talking about lower resolution evfs uh, that's exactly what it's got and mm. yeah it, definitely it's, it's really hard work because uh, yeah. A lot of those features were first introduced on the X100T, and then they just got migrated over to the X-Pro2. Right. Uh, but, like, I didn't know until I played with one that it had the uh, the sort of switchable viewfinder magnifications, and that is just wonderful. Because I was like, how are you supposed to use different focal lengths of lenses with the frame lines on the X-Pro2? But they thought it through. Yep. The X-Pro2, the camera that Leica should have made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, one day, right, someone is going to figure out how to make a proper digital rangefinder. Yeah. Um, like within an EVF, and then that's just going to be glorious. But I mean, obviously, there's mechanical limitations. Although the Canon EOS R has attempted to do it with this, like, 
weird game that they give you with two two arrows that you try to line up, right? But apparently that doesn't work very well. I haven't tried it. Huh. Yeah, I've, I've heard. I've, I think I was in a, a, a chat discussion, and uh, there were a few people were were talking about that, and uh, yeah, there was, it seems to be getting quite a bit of love with some users. So I don't know. I pass it. It looks really cool because it has the same principle as a rangefinder, right? You just have like these two things. In this case, arrows, and then they move as you turn the focus ring, and then when they're perfectly aligned, theoretically, it's in focus. I've just read uh, user reports online that it's not particularly accurate. But if it's accurate, that sounds that sounds pretty cool. No, mm. mm. oh, okay, um, right. I think uh, well, we're not so much going to bring start bringing things to an end, but we've we've got some unfinished business from several weeks ago. We do, we do, don't we? So <laughs> we uh, do indeed. Yeah. So 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 Johnny, um, how, would you like to introduce this uh, this this segment of the show? Yeah. Sure. Um, so as as you mentioned, um, boy, this is going back quite a few weeks now. I mean, it would, uh, back before we lost Carl, um, I had done uh, some interviews at at Central Camera with some customers and coworkers at the shop, um, and just asking them a simple question: Do you have a favorite camera and lens combo? Uh, and I thought the answers were really off the wall and all over the place and really interesting. So so we've got um, a field recording from Central Camera that we're going to share. And we have, let me see how many f- folks we have here. We have Ebony, we have Eric, uh, Bob Matter, Logan, Catherine, George, Charles, and Dan. And each of them are going to tell us about their favorite camera and lens combo. So let's roll it. And I was just going to say one one thing that you will notice, listeners, is uh, as as you'll tell from Johnny's introduction, this this was recorded some time ago. Yeah. Hi, it's Johnny. Welcome to episode sixty five of the Classic Lenses podcast. What I've done uh, for this episode is I did uh, some recordings at Central Camera Company over the Easter holiday weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday. I did some recordings of people, uh, both guests, visitors, customers at Central Camera and Central Camera employees, talking about their favorite camera and lens combo. So any combination of camera and lens that they are using, have used in the past, um, have have very much enjoyed using, um, and there's a lot, a, a really interesting range of answers. So we will continue with that audio now, and then have a little uh, chat afterwards. All right, here we go. Tell me your name, and tell me your camera and lens combo you want to talk about. Okay, so I'm Ebony, and I shoot with uh, Leica M5, and today Johnny. Um, just sold me the Voigtlander Nocton Classic 35mm f1.4. Yep. So we're going to see how this 35mm looks with the street photography. Right on. Yep. So on, the, I, on the M5. On right? the M5. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Very good. Yep. And what, are, what are you shooting mostly right now on the M5? So currently I've been doing some street photography, um, but I've been kind of searching around and noticing that the 35mm kind of tells more of a story. So that's what I'm going to switch to. Cool. Very yep. good. All right. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. 
Uh, I'm Eric Anthony, uh, and my new favorite lens camera combo is the uh, Olympus OM2 and the 50 mil. All right. And, uh, I, and, and today you have what new lens on that OM? Uh, the 24 millimeter with a step up to the, <laughs> oh, I'm not sure what it's called. Oh, God. Can I redo that take, that part? Of no, it's all good. Here, we'll just give it. So, so Eric got a, uh, a, a neutral density filter, a graduated, so he can do, um, you know, dial in his neutral density on the, uh, the OM lens or on his 58 millimeter lens. So we've got a, we've got a 58 millimeter uh, neutral density with a 49 millimeter step ring. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I'm trying to do more stuff with uh, uh, action in the background, maybe clouds moving, cars moving, um, right. but then trying to incorporate some portrait type stuff in there as well. So maybe a subject in the front, still perfect uh, uh, focus with everything kind of blurred out in the background, maybe a little motion in there, yeah. stuff like that. Awesome. Cool. Thanks very much, Eric. You got it. All right. My name's Bob Matter, and today I have with me a Nikon FM with a 50 millimeter Nikkor uh, 2.0 lens, and I have a 1946 Leica 3C with a 1951 Elmar 5-centimeter, uh, or 50 millimeter, if you will, uh, 3.5 lens. And it's like my, uh, probably my... One of my favorite rangefinders. I have a handful of rangefinders, and uh, I just I just love this one. Yeah, you have you have that one with you frequently. Mm -hmm. I see you, I see you yeah. with that one frequently. So, yeah, so that's a yeah. kind of a go-to favorite. It's great. It's yeah. It's I like this one because you know I'm a uh, multimodal commuter, so I, you know I ride the bus, I take the train, and I ride my bike, and uh, so size is important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so this this is pretty small. Even with the uh, with the lens extended, I mean, it's you know it's not a big not a big package, uh, but a few things that I like about this. One thing I really like is the magnified rangefinder. Really helps me focus. The other thing I, I like is since I wear glasses ordinarily, mm -hmm. I like the diopter. I, I don't like to wear glasses when I take pictures, mm -hmm. so I can take my glasses off this and use the diopter. It's great. Um, it's very quiet. Mm -hmm. uh, it, doesn't take batteries, so I can use it in the cold weather here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. and don't have to worry about my, like that one day I came in with the right. <laughs> with the Olympus, uh, you know, OM40, and you had to warm my batteries up for me. Uh, so it doesn't take batteries, and uh, in um, quiet, small, it's, it's got a good feel to it. It just fits in my hand nice. Mm -hmm. uh, you could feel the precision and quality of it. And uh, and this lens, I like the I like the lens a lot. I love the little knob, the With focusing focus knob. Yeah, yeah, or focus yeah. tab. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. And uh, this lens is really sharp. I get a, you know, I get a good good image with this. And I get good micro contrast. Mm -hmm. So I'm very uh, very very happy with it. The only thing is uh, this this camera had a little problem I think with uh, some shutter curtain drag or something. I was getting a little overexposure on one side. Mm -hmm. So I've had it uh, repaired. Uh, you know, a couple times, and uh, hopefully it's straightened out now. But if it's not, then I will, I will get it done again until it gets right. All right. But I, I occasionally uh, get very good exposures, so it must be one of the speeds or two of the speeds probably weren't right or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, now I'm just shooting it. And I'm just using Sunny 16, no meter, and uh, um, hopefully we'll see this. I got a test roll here now. All right, cool. And what uh, else you got here today? 
And this Nikon FM, uh, so this is one, uh, this is an interesting situation. This is one where I bought the lens before I bought the camera. Uh, I was at my favorite thrift store, and I found this uh, Nikkor 50mm 2.0 lens in, like, brand new condition mm -hmm. uh, for 20 bucks. So I had to snag that. So I have this, then I had this, all of a sudden I had this Nikon uh, AI lens, but uh, both of my Nikon system cameras at home were knicker mats. Uh, and I know uh, Anna Malik that works here at Central Camera mm -hmm. uh, has been turning out some nice pictures with the Nikon FM. So, and I've heard lots of good things about an FM. So uh, I saw one on eBay that was pretty clean for a reasonable price, and uh, I bought it. And yeah, it's been uh, a really sweet camera. I, I'm on my second roll of film. Had the little little light leak. Uh, that I think I have fixed with some gaffers tape for now. Mm -hmm. But, uh, again, it's very smooth. Uh, I actually thought I had broke the film on my first roll because the, the advance was so smooth. I, I was on my way here thinking, oh, I have to go put this in the black bag and, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fix my broken film. But uh, then I took another picture and I watched the rewind knob as I advanced the film, and it, it turned, you know, okay. so... Uh, it's okay. It's just so smooth that there's no resistance to it. Yeah. And uh, and again, it's kind of it's not it's not a real huge camera, yeah. and it's kind of light. I believe there's some plastic components or something on this, mm -hmm. so it's quite light. But uh, again, uh, just uh, just a great little camera. And again, no batteries required. It has a battery for the light meter, but it's a mechanical shutter, so uh, I'm good. Uh, Good for all weather. Cool. And, uh, yeah. So, did you bring some uh, favorite lenses too today? Uh, no, just no? I just okay. no traveling light today. Traveling light today. And yeah, cool. and I only have one AI lens. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> but at home now, I have I have a couple of Nikkor mats, and I have uh, you know my uh, one of my favorite lenses is my Nikkor 105 2.5. Oh yes. And uh, one of my favorite ones is a uh, my, my 50 millimeter 1.4. Cool. I like I like both of those. And, uh, oh, the other thing nice about this Leica, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, like a thread mount lens. So, you know, like I've got, I've got Russian rangefinders. You know, I've got Feds and uh, uh, Zorkies and things like that. I can use this lens on all those other cameras. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. My name is Logan. I work the film department of Central Camera. Um, and I like expensive cameras that I can get for really cheap because I'm a cheapskate. Um, so I got a really good deal on a Leica M2 and a 50mm Summicron, so that's what I mostly shoot with. Cool. Yeah. Oh, how about digital? You doing digital too? Digital, I do X-T3 because Fujifilm is fantastic. Um, and then pretty much any Fujifilm lens is great. Right. So Right on. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Catherine, and my favorite camera and lens combination is... Uh, my grandfather's N8008, which he handed me towards the end of his life. And what was on it at the time he gave it to me was this, like, totally ridiculous 70 to 300 type lens. So that was the camera he used for very casual pictures of his family. And also wildlife, because that was the other thing he cared about. So it was like, zoom across the lawn to get the children. Zoom across the lawn to get the birds. And I love that lens because I never, ever in a million years would have gone out and gotten something like that for myself. And I have been surprised by the times that it has saved my ass. <laughs> Do you have other favorite lenses you're using on it as well? I actually bought, at, at my place of work, Central Camera, I bought a 518, 
which was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. And I have used that, for instance, when shooting a wedding with that camera, because actually the meter in that camera is super great, and it takes a lot of the stress off. Awesome. Thanks, Catherine. My name is George, and my favorite camera was the Argus C3 with a 35, or was it a 50 millimeter 3.5? And the other one was a Polaroid, one of the first Polaroid land cameras with the fixed lens. And one thing I'll always remember about that camera, after the picture was taken and it come out of the camera, they had this gooey stuff that you put all over the print. So <clears throat> after a couple of rolls, I decided I had to go to the skin doctor <laughs> <laughs> to, to see if my if I were going to have la everlasting injury. All right, thank you. Thanks, George. I'm Charles. How much time do you got? <laughs> Go ahead, fire away. Um, currently, um, favorite lens combo: uh, Olympus OMs of my 24, or my 28, or a 51.4, or an 85. They <laughs> got six OM bodies, so each one has their own lenses on them. Um, and sometimes I do autofocus stuff. I use my Nikon N90s. I got a a Quantaray 28 to 200 on there. Ooh, high high class. Oh yeah, it works. You <laughs> yeah, know. it works, right? Shot many a punk shows of that. Cool. Uh, yeah, it takes beer pretty well. Being <laughs> spilled on it, <laughs> being in the middle of the pit, circle pit, getting banged around, it it, it holds up. How about other other formats? Yeah, other formats favorites. Yeah, I've got a lot. Uh, Go RB67. Okay, I've got a 55 on there, which is uh, I, I like wide angle. Yeah, it's yeah. um. Let's see what else? I got a Toyo 4x5. I got, got this old uh, Zeiss Jenna Tessar on there, uncoated thing. It's, I forget what the, it's like a 200 something. Okay. Uh, what else do I got? That's all I could think. Of. I got I got too much, too much fucking cameras. <laughs> That's good. That's plenty. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Charles. Okay. Well, Johnny, my name is Dan Hendrickson, and I have had many cameras that I've uh, loved and lost through the years. The uh, most special camera was a very tiny, pocketable Voigtlander 110 camera. It was the size of your thumb very strange little camera and the flash went on the side but i used to take kodachrome pictures with it and it was amazing <laughs> and um someone broke into the apartment and relieved me of it this happens too often but uh, um i'll never have another camera like it <laughs> all right so we again we heard from ebony eric bob logan Catherine, George, Charles, and Dan, and thanks to you all for participating in my little field recording experiment at Central Camera. Look forward to doing more of that stuff in the future. So, and be interested to hear uh, feedback from from listeners on uh, on that sort of thing. If you enjoy it, we'll do more, and if you don't, we'll probably do it anyway. Um, I think you did a great job there. <laughs> well, well done. Yeah. It was it was it was fun. It was fun, and I, I I there's so much going on at Central Camera that I wish I could kind of like share with the world. Like I wish everybody could be there with me some days because it's just so much fun, and there's so many neat things coming through. Some bastard this week had two X pans, and I was like, "You're killing me! You're, you're killing me!" He's like, he's got one on his hip. He's like, "Oh yeah, I got another one at home." I'm like, "You're killing me, dude!" 
<laughs> but, uh, but yeah, anyway, and I saw Eric this week. Let's see. I saw most of these people here this week. I saw Eric again this week. Uh, I see Bob every day. I see Bob more than I see family members. It's great to um, hear from Bob as well. Yeah, Bob is Bob is he's just he's such a fun guy. He's great. Um, but I thought Ebony's uh, comments were really interesting at the top, um, talking about kind of going from a fifty millimeter to a thirty-five. Um, and I know Perry, yeah. you had some you had some th- thoughts on that for sure. Yeah, I mean that lens, the Voigtlander thirty-five one point four. I, I have a love hate relationship with that lens, <laughs> and I, I've bought and sold it three times to prevent myself from buying the Leica uh, Summilux. But the the comment about 35 millimeter, I think is really interesting because, you know, the idea that you get a little bit more context when you're shooting. Um, w- one thing that people I think get wrong a lot when they discuss lenses is the idea of perspective. Because, you know, perspective is really a function of the relative distance of mm-hmm. objects in the frame, right? And so if you are standing in one place and then you're changing your focal length, y- your perspective doesn't actually change. Like it, it, there's a cool experiment to prove this. If you take like a 24 millimeter lens and you take a shot and then you take the same shot with like a 90 millimeter lens and then you crop the 24 frame right. down <laughs> to the same size, it's going to be the same perspective. I mean, there's some changes in depth of field and stuff. So, so where do you get that difference in what you get in the frame or... Um, uh, the, the the sort of exaggeration of wide angle perspectives is the way that wide angle lenses like force you to get a little bit closer uh, to the subject. And so for me, it's interesting when I was um, shooting on Canon SLRs like many years ago, over a decade ago, there was a photographer in Illinois. I don't think in Chicago, but somewhere in Illinois where he was giving me a hard time for like always shooting with telephoto lenses. Cause I think, you know, when you are shooting with like a point and shoot or your, or your phone, everything is in focus. Right. And then when you first get like real lenses, you're like, Oh cool. I can do bokeh and shallow depth of field. Um, and if I use a long lens, I can like pick out a subject and make it look cool. But once you pull back, um, to that sort of 35 millimeter, I find it's the perfect focal length to be able to get like a lot of your field of view in. Um, but if you get close to people and shoot, with 35 millimeters, you can get like contextual portraits that are gorgeous without forcing that wide angle perspective um, that you would get from sort of needing to get closer with a 28 millimeter lens or wider. And so, you know, shooting on the street uh, with a 35 millimeter lens, I mean, like there's a reason why it's the, the sort of quintessential rangefinder focal length, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that like 100 <laughs> percent it's so true it's just a, to me to me it's for the same reasons it's the perfect focal length for that kind of photography uh, the, something just uh, comes to mind as well just from what you explaining there about perspective there and uh this this takes me back to the early days of photography with classic lenses and there was exactly this this discussion going on there and i think it was probably one of the very first epic uh, discussions, shall we say, uh, on in in that Facebook group about uh, oh yes it does and it's all about compression and uh, and not and not and I'm just thinking you've just opened an enormous can can of worms there, um, so uh, oh bring bring it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's all, it's I think the way that you act for for those people who are going to uh, write write in or um, make 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 comments and, and things uh, do listen to the very specific way that Perry explained himself there uh, because it's all it's largely down to where you're where you're standing um, is is making a difference and that's why you you made the point about cropping the photograph from a from a wide angle um, because you were standing in the same place. Um, because generally speaking, when you use a longer focal length to get the same view, then you, you shift your position. And if you're shifting your position further away, then that changes the way that um, the appearance of, well, it does, it does change the perspective of what you see of the, of, say you're taking a picture of a person, but that's because you're taking it from a different position. It's not because you're using a different lens. It's, you have a different position. So that's, Correct. that's, that's really the, the key point before where we get completely bombarded about, well, that's the reason why we use 85 millimeter lenses instead of fifties and all that kind of stuff. And it goes, well, that's, that, and that's all, all correct, but it's all to, it's also to do with your position of where you're actually taking the photograph in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Cause if you want the subject to be the same size in the frame with a wider angle lens, then you have to get closer, but it's the function of that getting closer that actually changes the perspective and not the, uh, field of view of the lens. Totally. Right. And, uh, and I know that, um, uh, Mike Ackerman will be happy that, that George told his story about his Argus brick. So there you go. <laughs> Have you ever used one of those? Cause I've seen them a bunch, but I've never had any desire to ever pick one up. Yeah. Don't, don't. Just, I've, just... I've, used, I've, I've picked one up and tried to use one that doesn't work. And I get the feeling that usually one that works is probably a similar kind of level of satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> well said. There is uh, one other. Um, George is our favorite Civil War veteran, by the way. He we really enjoy having him at the shop, and you know he tells us great stories of you know his times spent with Napoleon, um, and. Uh, <laughs> So, so George is a great guy. We really love him. How long has he been shooting with that Argus? Uh, I don't know that he does anymore. You know, George is he? He's he's great. I mean, he shoots with all kinds. He's got Sony's and Fujis and all this stuff, and that's what he does now. Um, but I mean, I I know he probably shot with it for for years and years back in the day. Yeah, because I was going to say they're not they're not renowned for their like longevity, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, they, you know, Mike Ackman can make anything work if you dunk it in a vat of naphtha. So I know Mike has shot those quite a quite a bit, and he's got reviews of them on his site, and he loves that camera. He really does. Um, and he's, you know, you can. It, it, I think they're probably one of those cameras that are, will work forever if you can just uh, adjust them uh, correctly, because there, there's not that much to them as far as mechanics go. You know what I mean? So I think that they're, they're probably you could take one of those things that's been, you know, buried in the sand for 20 years and make it work again. Yeah. And, and then Bob Matter, he talks about, I mean, he talks about a bunch of stuff from his Nikon FM, but he, he mentions the uh, Leica 3C with the 50 Elmar. Um, yeah. And, you know, that that's such a wonderful pocketable combo. Um, but it, it's interesting because, you know, Simon, you've used a lot of Soviet lenses, right? Yeah. Because um, the thing that's stopping me from getting a Leica LMR, because I, I have a 3C and a couple of Barnett cameras, but I find that the the collapsible Indostars that I've tried work just as well. And I don't know if that's controversial. Well, the Tessars, aren't they? So 
<laughs> yeah, they just work. You know, um, yeah, that's as that's as much as I want to talk about them, really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, having spoke about Tessars, I think we should start to wind the show down now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's um, do a, a little bit of, uh, should we say, almost, it's almost news. Um, so, yeah, uh, almost. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's, a, there's a bit of movement on the, on the Facebook uh, group front. So, Johnny, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, well, we, we kind of are doing something today that we've talked about doing for quite a while. Um, and actually, you know, even, even uh, back a little bit. Uh, with Carl, we talked about launching a, a Facebook page specifically for Classic Lenses podcasts because the home of the podcast has always sort of been uh, in photography with Classic Lenses, which is the group that spawned the podcast. Um, so that's where things have been until now. But we we really wanted to have a separate uh, page on Facebook specifically for the podcast. So we've gone and done that. So you can now follow uh, Classic Lenses Podcast is the name of the group on Facebook where we will talk about the Classic Lenses Podcast and we will be posting the podcast there and having podcast-specific uh, conversations there on that site. Um, if you're in you know, the, uh, uh, the current Classic Lenses Photography with Classic Lenses group on, on Facebook, there's no reason to not be there either. Uh, but we wanted to just have a place where we could do a deeper dive into things specific to each podcast that we that we do so so that's the news there on that front and we've also um updated the uh classic lenses podcast.com website uh and you will now find perry gas master g there on the host page Uh, so uh, so we have a so we have our um our current host line up there uh, on the website, and then we have the Be Like Carl dedication page on the website where we've got um, Carl's profile and uh, a little bit about Carl, and he will always be there with us there on the website as well. So we've so we've gone and done that. So we've sort of taken the podcast is uh, you know going into a new maybe a new a couple new directions. Um, logo that uh, you'll notice maybe is a little bit different. We've updated some things there, so just kind of taking an opportunity with Perry joining us um, to make a few changes that we had already really had kind of in the works for a while. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, th- I think the, you know, my, my take on this is as is, is much that the, the, the podcast uh, absolutely grew from photography with classic lenses and it was, it w- and it was done in the image of that Facebook group. And and I'm sure those those people that have been listening for any length of time knows will know that the the podcast has changed uh, quite quite considerably certainly since the early days, but even over say the last six months or so. And I think part of that is there's there's certainly been and this is all Johnny's fault. Uh, there's there's been a, a um, uh, more of a leaning towards analog and film, uh, but it's a case of we're not, we're absolutely not uh, turning our back on digital. You know, as far as we're concerned, we 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 do both on this show. Um, yeah. But there's a sort of feeling that, although again, analog is and analog photos are, are welcome on photography with classic lenses. It's sort of you just get this feeling it's a little bit of an add-on. 
and um, so we we want to we want to make the the analog side of things you know particularly welcome in the in the new uh, group plus we also want to be able to post things about the podcast which will be outside of the rules of photography with classic lenses which if anybody well if anybody has ever read the rules of uh, photography with classic <laughs> lenses you know and I'm, I'm largely to blame for that uh, they are they're quite draconian and very 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 specific but they're they're that way largely to make the life of the administrators easier um that is pretty much why a lot of those rules are in there because if you took some of those rules out uh that to get a fair bit of derision um and then it, it starts to make the group far more uh, prescriptive about what specific items are actually allowed in it so um it allows the running of that group to be quite quite general um, but we want to post things that have got nothing to do with potentially classic lenses they are just to do with the podcast and by well certainly we felt that posting um pure <clears throat> excuse me pure podcast information in photography with classic lenses sort of like we felt that that was all given one rule for us and another rule for everybody else so that just didn't feel right so um, so yeah so you you're still going to see me in photography with classic lenses uh, but it's going to be a case of if something's very specific to the podcast then it's going to live in the the new home of the classic lenses podcast group on facebook yeah yep yeah. exactly okay um right we're almost at the end now um let's just quickly I've always, we already did uh, a bit of stuff on on coffee um and i've lost my page so i'm not going to find it now um so yeah if, <laughs> if anybody anybody wishes to help with the uh with with the podcast um and you want to donate something to us uh, we'll be more than grateful to receive it um, and all you need to do is go to coffee.com that's ko-fi.com and do a search for classic lenses podcast and uh, if you wish you can donate to us there and we'll be very grateful um and that's just about it as long if i don't know if we've got any shout outs uh, perry have you got any shout outs this week uh, i do have one shout out yeah to a local shop in Hong Kong called Little Garden, uh, which is a place that sells kind of adapters, accessories. Um, they enable the whole classic lenses lifestyle. They'll help you, you know, take weird lenses and mount them onto helicoids. Uh, they'll help you hack Instax stuff. Really cool shop. Um, the reason I want to give Little Garden a shout out is I went over there the other day to pick up some stuff and they let me play for the first time uh, with some C-mount lenses. And I I took a uh, little Somberthio C-mount lens, like one of those tiny ones that's the size of a film canister, and I used one of their adapters and mounted it on a Sony to see what it looks like. And one of the ladies that runs the shop there just burst out laughing and was like <laughs> laughing hysterically for a good five minutes at, as, uh, at how silly this looked. So if you're ever in Hong Kong and you want to, do weird adaptations they are the place to go excellent and they're awesome awesome, awesome. that's great okay. uh johnny any shout outs uh no i don't think so um i mean other than the just i want to thank everyone who participated again in the interviews that were done at central camera it's been you know it's been a while since we did those and i i felt bad a little bit like uh, people agreed to do them and then they didn't actually get played but an awful lot of things have happened in between and i know everyone everyone understands that so uh but yeah thanks to everyone at central uh 
customers and uh, coworkers who participated in those interviews. And I've seen almost everyone on that list here in this past week. So shout out to, to everyone there. Excellent. So, uh, Perry, outside of this podcast and the new Facebook group, which is uh, the Classic Lenses podcast, uh, how can people keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Flickr, both of which are just my name, P-E-R-R-Y-G-E. And you can also find me on my website, which is the same thing, .com. Okay, and Johnny? Uh, you can find me, um, I'm at Sissy Photography on Instagram, and you can find me pretty much every day at uh, the camera counter at Central Camera Company in Chicago. And how, how can people get in touch with us? You can send us an email at classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also contact us directly through the website at classiclensespodcast.com. Uh, and you can also participate us with us on Instagram. You can tag your Instagram photos with best vintage lens and with classic lenses. Have we decided how what the format is of the, uh, with the classic lenses is? Do we put classic dot lenses or is it just classic lenses? And oh, no, the, ins- the Instagram, our Instagram for classic lenses is sort of just a placeholder. Yeah. It's it's best vintage lenses doing all the work for us. Yeah. So. So uh, yeah, the good folks at Best Vintage Lens are the people that you wanna you wanna visit over there on Instagram. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, I can be found in a few places. You can hear me every two weeks on the Large Format Photography Podcast with Andrew Bartram. Um, actually, we've, we're going to be recording with uh, Ethan Moses. Uh, oh, this, awesome! This week, so uh, that's nice. going to be really interesting talking about. Uh, uh, a couple of the uh, cameras that he makes, uh, which is uh, which, which is good. Um, so there's that, and then uh, I'm on Flickr. Uh, I think I'm on there as Simon Forster. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. I'm on Twitter as Simon Four. Um, I've got a website which is simonforsterphotographic.co.uk where you can find lots of FICAS adapters which are great adapters. I've also got them on my eBay eBay page as well. In fact, I've got more stuff on the eBay page than I have on my uh, main website. Uh, links to the eBay page and all the links to all of us. You can find those in, in the show notes. Um, so finally, I just want to say thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for the Octo Blues theme music that we use. Um, and that's just about it. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, this week's show. And uh, if you can, be like Carl. <laughs>